Forward-facing sonar is all the rage, and love it or hate it, it appears to be here to stay. We're going to talk about the strengths, the weaknesses, and the ethics of forward-facing sonar in this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. Thanks as always for tuning into this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. Of course, brought to you as always by the fine folks at Sportsman's Warehouse. You can visit them at 140 plus stores nationwide or at sportsmans.com for all of your hunting, fishing, and outdoor adventure needs. And they'll ship straight to the store if they don't have it in stock. So guys, Couple weeks back, or week week back, I guess, on Fishful Thinker Facebook page at Fishful Thinker, of course. Uh, I asked, inspire me, somebody tell me what I should talk about in a podcast, and several people brought up some aspect of forward-facing sonar, how it's making anglers not as good because they can focus on their electronics. Other people saying it's not ethical. Um, tournament organizations talking about banning it. There's a lot of stuff going on with forward-facing sonar these days. It's probably the most controversial thing to hit fishing in a long time. Um, And I just feel like that I probably ought to go ahead and address it from my standpoint. And again, as with almost anything in fishing, it's largely opinion. Ethics are one of those things I really don't generally like to talk about. Uh, because it is a lot of opinion involved. Nobody's ethics are the same. We're not talking about facts. There's some facts we can mix in there, but a lot of it's going to be ethics. And when you start talking about ethics, it it really, you know, again, it, it's, it's gray at best. And nobody can necessarily win that discussion unless you've got ethics that are significantly harmful to everybody else. So, but I do want to talk a little bit about having had extensive experience with it now. Um, Some of the pluses that I think it's good for fishing, some of the negatives that I think are bad for fishing and, uh, and kind of take it from there. And, and I'm not sure how long this podcast will go. I really didn't think, think it through too much other than just I've been a part of a lot of conversations lately with folks about it. And just recently, a couple days ago, read a headline that they're considering banning it from, from bass fishing tournament use. And so Let's first talk about what it is for folks that might be listening to this that don't have it or have not used forward-facing sonar. The difference between forward-facing sonar or live sonar, which is how I prefer to call it, the difference in live sonar is just that. It is real-time. So I can watch exactly what my lure is doing. I can watch exactly what a fish is doing. And I can get a pretty good idea of how far a fish is from a boat, how, you know, every, where the fish is set up, um, a pretty good idea what kind of fish it is based on how they're set up. There's a lot of information it can provide you. And therein lies its strength, the biggest one being it's in real time. So I can watch how a fish responds to my lure. Now, Anyone that's ever been around for a long time, since the 60s, or that ice fished up until only just not that long ago, we all had flasher units. And I wasn't around the 60s, and I didn't get electronics until the 80s, but um, I can tell you that we've flasher units have been around for a long time, and they're the closest thing we had to real-time sonar. And anybody that's been ice fishing has used a flasher unit most likely, and those flasher units were good because they let you know if there's a fish right there or not. And since you can't move, 
very quickly at least ice fishing, you you can rely on that to work your bait up and down or however it is you're working your bait and hopefully entice said fish that shows up to bite. You know, the difference is you're interpreting little color changes on a circular screen that's going round and round and uh, it's minimal data at best in regards to um, you know what you're actually looking at. Yes, you might be able to see a green dot that's your lure and a red dot that's a fish, but at the end of the day, it's not that easy to interpret compared to modern live sonar. But I wanted to point that out because it is not entirely new. There, I mean, if they would have outlawed uh, flashers years ago because it'll let an angler know on the ice that there was fish right under him, well, who knows where ice fishing would be these days, you know, but I'm sure when that first came out, there were old guys, old timers that were like, oh, it's going to be the death of ice fishing. And obviously it hasn't been the death of ice fishing. And now, just for the record, not to digress, but these days you can use forward-facing sonar on the ice. Now, Forward-facing sonar is a little bit of a misnomer, too, because it can be set up to face forward or straight down. And that's important to keep in mind because in the last week and a half or two weeks of my fishing, I've been fishing really deep. I've been spending a whole bunch of time fishing anywhere between about 40 and 60 feet deep. And in that scenario, the sonar is actually pointing down, which is why I prefer to have uh, the, or prefer to use the term live live sonar because really the importance of it is that it's in real time and not the direction that it's facing. Now, the guys that are bringing it to forefront or the, the, the way it's getting um, assimilated into fishing is through tournament fishing, which is about the same with just any other major development in fishing tackle. It starts out in competitive fishing in the same way that uh, let's say performance vehicle parts start out in racing and then they migrate their way down. That's why all the manufacturers have racing in their organizations. It's because that's how they develop their technology. Well, fishing tackle companies that make fishing tackle use professional anglers in the same way. So we can find out who's sonar is better if we make everybody compete with each other over a three-day period. Well, so that's the testing platform, so to speak. And they're the early adopters, they being the professional anglers, be it bass guys, walleye guys, and in these days, even offshore, uh, like billfish guys, uh, are using live sonar. And it they're being pushed to their limits and the envelope, you know, kind of pushed by all the professionals out there. Because when you're trying to make a $300,000 check, you're going to use every trick and every tool you can to do it. And you're definitely not going to get beat because some guy had better sonar than you. And so if you go in any modern bass boat, you're going to find out, or modern walleye boat, uh, you're going to find out that they're going to have similar electronics, not in terms of uh, brand necessarily, but in terms of what they actually do. And I want to point out that all the major manufacturers use uh, some version or produce some version of live sonar. And for me, I'm an active target guy because I'm a Lawrence guy, and I have been for my entire fishing career, and even before my career, which is why I signed up with Lawrence in the first place. So, but it doesn't matter. It could be live scope or whatever the other ones are. The technology is essentially the same. It's the application of the technology that's slightly different. Cone angles may change, frequencies may change, but the concept is basically exactly the same, and that's important to keep in mind. So if you haven't tried it, first of all, 
don't knock it. Let me just throw that little detail out. If you're considering trying it or you're considering buying it, I'm going to strongly advise that you get in a boat with somebody that has it and try it because it is not the end-all, be-all to catching fish. And some guys are, that haven't spent much time with it or have seen it demonstrated at its highest level on TV are going to disagree with me on that. But I have spent a lot of time using it. And you can waste a tremendous amount of your fishing day playing with it, trying to get it set up, looking here, looking there, uh, looking all around instead of just fishing, trying to pinpoint that one fish that's two feet outside your cone. And if you were just casting, you would have seen him. And by cone, I mean effectively view of your sonar. What, what is actually being displayed on your screen is a, basically a cone and it's flattened out so that you can interpret it. And a fish that is just barely outside of that cone isn't going to show up at all, and you're not even going to cast because you don't see them in the cone. So there's a lot of ways in the way I see it as it's a time waster. It also is a complication on your boat. Where I notice it a lot, the transducer that is used to hold it, and transducer is what sends the sound underwater that bounces back and your boat's able to interpret it. That doesn't change regardless of the technology. Um, you have to have some sort of a transducer. And the transducer that, that forward-facing sonar uses or live sonar uses is big and bulky, needs to be mounted where nothing's in the way of it, and, uh, oh, by the way, I need to be able to point it in any direction I need to be able to point it. So it, it's either something else that has to be added to the front of your boat, strapped to the trolling motor, more stuff to buy, more batteries to burn. So from the standpoint of just productivity alone, uh, it can confuse the issue a little bit from this, from the fact that you've got a bunch more stuff, crap I like to call it, strapped to your boat. And as time goes on, there's more and more stuff strapped to all these boats. And to be honest with you, I, I have as much fun fishing in my clean little boat that has nothing dangling off of it or out of it other than a trolling motor and a, and a gas motor, or, or actually two trolling motors, a big, a big trolling motor, a little trolling motor. It doesn't have all the stuff. It doesn't have all the electronics and networks and systems all over it. So every time you add a new piece, and live sonar is a major new piece because it has to be in the water, can't be compared with your other, it can't be shared, you know, sonar space with your other transducers. So now you're talking about having a whole bunch of transducers in your boat. You've got, you know, most people have some version of structure scan, traditional sonar, and now we've got live sonar as well. And none, and none of those three are the end-all be-all. They all work together to complement each other. And so, again, when you add a live sonar, you've added a whole bunch of stuff to your boat. You've also added a whole bunch of time to your fishing from the standpoint that of, of stuff that has to be set up and maintained and and learned how to use and then also over the course of a given fishing day managed and you'll see if you guys watch you know tournament bass fishing or walleye fishing there's quite a few boats out there with somewhere between four and six graphs in the boat and most of those are big graphs so now you've got a tremendous amount of battery and and all of that so logistically it can be uh, not necessarily the best thing in the world, but fundamentally, let's say money's not the issue and you don't care how complicated your boat gets, uh, then it's still a time sucker. And every time we add some other thing that takes away from casting, it's going to take away some time. Now, somebody's going to rightfully argue that it will save you time in locating fish. And I will say yes, to some degree it will. 
to some degree. But we, depending on how you have it mounted in your boat, you can't just drive around indiscriminately looking for fish. You have to have some sort of a strategy to it. Uh, and generally for me, that involves determining the structure first, and that's not done with forward-facing or live sonar. That's done with traditional 2D or, or 3D, you know, downscan structure scan stuff. The structure trumps everything. It doesn't matter how, you know, let me, I don't even know how to summarize that any better. Structure trumps everything. If you're not around the right structure, you're not around fish. And that's just all there is to that, with the possible exception of open water fish, which are just fish swimming in wide open water, suspended fish. Obviously, they're not structure related at that point, but in 99% of the scenarios, whatever area they've chosen to roam has to do with the structure in the first place, even if they're not sitting on or directly around it, they're swimming in the open water. Finding fish in open water, just swimming around in open water on, on live sonar is, talk about chasing a needle in a haystack. You'll spend all day driving around your boat staring at it and that will drive you crazy. The other thing is it can't really be done at any major speed where I can use traditional sonar uh, and downscan at five, six miles an hour and, uh, and get a better idea of what's going on um, with, the, with the bottom of the lake or what's suspended in the water column and all that. So it's not really good for that. So from my standpoint, what forward-facing sonar is good for is once I have a school of fish located, then I can keep track of where they're going based on how they move around on that screen or how they respond to my lures and things like that. But first drawback is I have to be able to locate them and that's an old school thing with old school technology comparatively that we've been using for a long time. Now I also want to point out that when there was only 2D sonar, I worked at Sportsman's Warehouse and I worked behind the reel bar and I sold fishing electronics to people. And this was back in 2004, five, six, somewhere in that range, maybe seven and eight. Humminbird came out with their with their side scanning capability. And I had guys come in then tell me it was gonna ruin fishing. Now it's pretty standard to have side scanning in all the boats and no fishing has been ruined. I was just in Sportsman's the other day. A guy wanted to know my opinion on it, and he had a strong opinion, had never used it on live sonar. It's going to be the death of fishing. And I laughed and told him I'd heard that over a lot of other things for the last 20 years. He didn't think it was as funny as I did, but at the end of the day, we've all heard that. I don't think that that's the case because, again, I have to be able to locate my fish in the first place. So really what it's good for is knowing how fish are responding to my lures. And in that regard, it's not fundamentally different than the flasher that I started this whole thing with. So uh, it's very good at that, which will help you with one thing. It will, it will increase your learning curve as to how fish are reacting. It will make you make decisions quicker because you can see how fish are reacting. And therefore, you will become a better angler in the long run so that you'll even do better when you don't have live sonar available to you because you will have learned a whole bunch of stuff. You will have figured out that if a fish doesn't bite your jerkbait on the first, second, or maybe third throw, he's not ever going to bite it. There's no point in making multiple presentations to it because I've watched over and over and over and over again on live sonar that they, if they don't bite something like a reaction bait on the first or second cast, third cast, maybe they're not going to bite it. But you wouldn't have known there was a fish there that refused it without the forward-facing sonar. And so that is a key thing that you'll learn in a hurry to make confident decisions. You'll know that, hey, I can pull up on a real good-looking spot. I can throw this jerkbait across here three times. If it's not bit, either there's nobody there. Let's say I don't have live sonar. Either there's nobody there 
or I needed to make a bait change, at which point I'm going to make a wholesale bait change and go to something like a jig or something completely opposite. Instead of something erratic and crazy, something subtle and without a bunch of, of uh, clues that it's there. So maybe I'll go from a, from a jerk bait to a jig, or maybe I'll go from a crank bait to a, you know, whatever, something more subtle. But you'll learn to make those decisions a lot faster. The other thing is you might learn to mix up your retrieves a bunch more. And that's been a big one for me is I play with retrieves these days multiple times during the same retrieve, for lack of a better way to put it. I will change how I'm working my lure potentially multiple times on the same cast or for sure multiple times over multiple casts, I will change how I'm working my lures. And that's because I get immediate feedback from the fish. So over the last couple of weeks, like I said, I've been fishing deep and I've been fishing for smallmouth trout, walleyes, and, and a few wipers and white bass down deep. But mostly it's been smallmouth trout and walleyes that I've been fishing for. I can put a drop shot down in front of these fish and if nobody bites it in two, three minutes, I can play with it. Two or three minutes, I can immediately change the color or change the bait that's on the drop shot or change the length of the drop, whatever. Whatever it is I decide to change, I can change quickly and I can do so with confidence because I can look at my at my graph and say, okay, there's 10 fish sitting around that bait. And that's not exaggerating. I've been putting baits down over the last 10 days and having more than 10 fish literally herd around it. They're all looking at it, but they're not always biting it. Maybe one of them will bite it. Maybe one of them won't, but they're not in a lot of cases. So what it does allow me to do is quickly change my presentations and figure out how to get that fish to bite. And that's where it can potentially be a little bit detrimental to the sport because you'll figure out quickly how to get a school of fish to bite if, and this is a huge if, it's one of the things that I say you have to be an angler first and foremost regardless of your technology. You have to know what change to make. And that's not a small statement. Knowing that, okay, this got me this reaction, what do I need to do to get the appropriate reaction, which is a bite, is a whole different step, and your sonar is not going to tell you that at all. It's only going to let you know that a fish saw your lure, and that's it. It's Maybe he followed it. Maybe he let it go right by him. Maybe he followed it to the bottom and then just gave up and swam away as it sank through the water column, which I'm dealing with a ton right now, um, whatever the case might be. But you have to be the angler that knows how to get that fish to bite, and the sonar won't tell you that. So that's a key thing about it as well. Um, one thing for sure it can help you with is spooking fish. And that's something that I learned very quickly. That was one of the first things I learned uh, with using it is, holy moly, we're spooking a lot of fish, a lot more fish than I realized we were spooking. They spook from the trolling motor. They spook from the bait or the boat approaching. They spook from your lure approaching. They spook from noise you made in the boat that I never would have realized they were as spooky as they would be. Also, what I learned is I never realized how spook or how uh, curious they'll be. How many fish will come and look at a lure and never bite it? And I should have known that from having many years of, of fish in fish tanks. Uh, ever since I was a kid, I had bass and bluegills and all kinds of various sunfish, catfish, and all the kind of fish you might fish for. I've had in fish tanks when I was a kid in Florida. I had saltwater fish the same way. Um, you learn that they're very, very curious creatures. They're very curious creatures. So it shouldn't have come as such a surprise to me that I can pull out in the middle of a flat here on my home lake right now, no fish on the on the 
on the live sonar at all. None whatsoever. But there's a few bait fish in the area, so I know I'm basically in the area. I can drop a Berkeley thin fisher, let's say, a blade bait over the side of the boat, let it go down to the bottom, start ripping that thing. In no time flat, I got fish all around. I called them all in, no problem. But that doesn't mean they'll bite it. They'll come look at it. They got to come see what it is. It looks shiny and vibrating and, oh man, that's cool. I got to go see that. But they don't bite it. Same thing with a jig and spoon or a whole, basically any other lure. They, a lot of them will come look at it and not bite it. And that's a key thing as well. So between the spookiness and the, and the non-biters, um, it's, that can be an important thing. And in 2D sonar, there was a time when I would idle back and forth over, over a piece of structure with, on the big motor and say, okay, there's fish right here. I finally dropped the waypoint, and, you know, crisscross them a couple times, make sure they're in the right spot. They're 20 feet down. All right, yeah, I like it. This is good, right on top of this hump right here. No problem. Turn around, drop the trolling motor, trolling motor back over to them. They're gone. Where'd they go? Don't know. I can't find them again. Well, they left because I approached them with the trolling motor, and the water wasn't deep enough. The big gas motor doesn't seem to bother them at all, and I think it's because every boat in the lake has one of those, but that trolling motor, which spins at the exact vibration frequency that is very, very easy for their lateral line to to detect, uh, they can feel that trolling motor. And when the trolling motor shows up is when stuff gets weird from, from the fish that are on that point. So even things like that or the pressure waves from a boat. Do you guys want to know why flats boats don't have trolling motors on them? It's because fish in shallow water are spooky. And you turn that trolling motor on and a bonefish that's 40 yards from the boat is gone immediately gone. He wants nothing to do with that spinning propeller. And that's why they don't have them. Well, we're slow adapters in freshwater to that. And there's always a percentage of fish that are dumb enough to stick around. Dumb might not be the right word. Maybe it's immature or inexperienced enough would be the better word. Uh, Because again, some of the small fish will stick around. I posted a video a while back and it had something like 700,000 views and it was me fishing a willow bush, pitching a bait into a willow bush. And I recommended to people that they cast that, that Texas rig bait right in the heart of the willow bush because that's where the big stalks are. They're in the middle, the thing that connects it to the bottom, the big branches, the trunks, so to speak, are in the very middle. And these willow bushes are eight or 10 feet deep. They've got a big crown on the top and just like a tree, they're bigger at the top than they are at the bottom. Well, a bunch of people commented, why catch all kinds of fish around the outside of those willows? Why do I have to fish in them? Because the biggest fish are smart enough to get up against the base of the willow tree. All the little guys that don't have seniority to get there will hang out around the outside of those willow bushes, and you can catch them easy. But the ones that are tucked against the the trunk at the bottom of the willow bush that I was trying to advocate people go get is a whole other size class up in most cases. And by the way, they're not nearly so spooky. So when, as you approach this willow bush on your boat, if you watch on the live sonar, all the fish that are loosely gathered around that tree will vacate and the ones that are tight against the stalks will not. And that's because nobody bothers them there 99% of the time, which is why I advocated you fish there. Now, again, that's something it taught me, but it doesn't catch me the fish per se. I still have to figure out how to make a good presentation, have the physical skills to do it, and have the intuitiveness to pick a lure based on what I'm looking at and my conditions and present it well and execute well. And that's still the bones of fishing. Now, having said all that, there's a couple of scenarios uh, that I think it will potentially be more 
let's say, effective than maybe we'd like it to be. And the first one that comes to mind for me is without question going to be uh, crappies, particularly uh, panfish, but especially crappies. Crappies love to suspend under stuff, and they love to suspend next to stuff, and they don't like to swim around very much. They like to just hang there. If you look at how they're designed, they're not an efficient high-speed swimmer. They're very good at sitting in one spot and have a great big mouth and suck in whatever swims by. Well, in my experience, they don't spook from boats very much. They are perfectly suited to uh, forward-facing or live sonar because I can nose up to a dock, I can look at the fish, I can make 10 presentations and get an idea in 10 presentations all the details I need to figure out how to catch them. And because they won't leave, I can generally sit there and vacuum a whole stack of them up in a hurry. So there's a couple scenarios where I think it is detrimental, and that's that's probably the single biggest one. Also, I think uh, potentially with spawning fish, we get a lot of fish in my home lake that spawn. Everybody likes to bed fish. I am not one of those people, but a lot of bass guys like to bed fish, and I fully get it. It can be really fun, and it's fun because you can see the fish interact with your lure. Well, smallmouth that are bedded 12, 15 feet down show up just fine on my on my forward-facing sonar, and I can get a pretty good read, and I can know that if they're 15 feet down and they're on a spawning bank somewhere and they don't leave when the boat gets near them, I know they're on a bed at that point and I can pester them. And that I think is also potentially a negative as well. And so there I think is, is an issue. But at the end of the day, if I'm really being honest, I think it's just teaching anglers a lot of stuff. I didn't want to spend a couple thousand bucks and put it in my boat, but geez, guys, as expensive as boats are getting these days, what do you do, right? If you want a competitive boat, you've got to do that. And now it's gotten mainstream enough that I see a guy on my home lake here on a regular basis that's got kayaks, or I've seen several kayaks on my home lake that have live sonar on them. So it's not about the big boat necessarily. The live sonar costs as much as the kayak, and and guys are, are sold on using it. But I will say this, a couple other things. It's thoroughly enjoyable, especially for a guy like me who likes to learn and like to see what fish do. It's thoroughly enjoyable for a guy who is sonar intensive in the first place. First thing I think of is Dan Swanson. I love you, Dan. Dan's one of my favorite people in the entire world. He's also one of the leading experts in the whole country on sonar and GPS. He's a retired electrical engineer. He was an early adopter. If I'm not mistaken, he even had Lawrence the green box, the original one. I know he's had Lawrence units forever, uh, since the 60s, and he's a high-level expert. We did some filming recently in Minnesota, and I couldn't get him to address the camera because he was so focused on the live sonar. I couldn't get him to look up, and that's been a complaint with tournament fishing as well. Guys say, oh, it's no fun to watch anymore because all it is is an angler staring at a screen talking to a fish that he can see and trying to coax it into biting. And I understand that from the, from the viewer standpoint, it is definitely not good. But I'll tell you this, you as a viewer at home may not enjoy watching that, but you will enjoy the advancements in lure design and presentation, new presentations that are coming about. Pretty much every lure manufacturer out there is addressing fish that we didn't know needed addressing until the last couple of years. We didn't realize how many of them didn't bite. We didn't realize how many fish will follow a bait back and forth and back and forth. I've had schools of smallmouth last week that will follow a bait up and down 30 plus feet in the water column. If I wind it up, they follow it up. 
I open the bale and let it go back down. They follow it right back down again. They're swimming up and down with it and having a great old time. We never would have known that if it wasn't for the forward facing or the live sonar. So that's, you know, in my mind, uh, in a nutshell, where it's at. The ethics of it, I struggle with, with anywhere other than something, like I said, a crappie fishing or maybe a bed fishing thing where it will make that significantly easier. But in the rest of the cases, you know, uh, targeting walleyes in open water, something like that. Um, yeah, it's a tool, but it's not the end all. It's just another tool that you combine with all the rest of the tools to catch some fish in the boat. There's one other scenario that I didn't mention earlier that I want to mention. I'm going to go back to it right now, and that is the large predator fish that are known to not uh, like to bite, with the classic example being muskies or tiger muskies. In that scenario, where it's a fish that is known to be very difficult to get to bite, if you can locate one on, on your live sonar, you have a distinct advantage. But again, you have to locate them in the first place, and that's not best done with, with live sonar. That's best done with old-school fishing skills. And then once you find them, then you put them in the, in the spotlight, so to speak, and figure out how to get them to bite. So... That's my, my dealio, uh, guys. I've had live sonar now. This is my third year with it. Um, I've spent a lot of time just focusing on how to use it, which is time I could have spent focusing on other things, right? And so, like I said, it is a time sucker for sure, and it does take a lot of batteries, and it does take a lot of money to have it in your boat. But if you have the time and, the, and all of that to do it, it's a great way to advance your angling skills and know at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to hurt most fisheries in any way, shape, or form. Um, it should be just fine from what I can see. So if you guys want to join the conversation or maybe provide some uh, some inspiration for a future podcast, you can do that at Fishful Thinker on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Hopefully you'll check out our YouTube channel, subscribe where you're there. Uh, that is at Fishful Thinker as well. We appreciate that. There's always at least one or two new videos every week there. And hopefully you'll also tune in to see what we're up to on Altitude Sports Entertainment and World Fishing Network on your television. Thanks for listening. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast. <laughs>